Hello and welcome to the Van Foodster Podcast. I am your host, Richard Wallach, covering the food scene in and around the Vancouver area, across Canada and beyond. This is episode 103 of the Van Foodster podcast. In this week's episode, I feature Nellis Restaurant and Bar in Coquitlam. I talk about some of our upcoming events, including the next Dumpling Fest, our inaugural pizza crawl, and Tasting Plates Main and Fraser. I feature the fall menu of Iono Cafe. I feature Robotomati in Gastown. I feature C Prime Modern Italian Steakhouse in downtown Vancouver. And lastly, I feature my interview with executive chef Zach Reynolds of Cook Weaver in Seattle. Follow me on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter at Van Foodster, as well as visit VancouverFoodster.com for everything food in Vancouver and beyond. And let's get on with this week's episode. I was recently out at Nellos Restaurant out in Coquitlam uh, to try their pasta creation as they are currently in my Vancouver Pasta Challenge. And of course, we had to try a few other dishes while we were out there. The uh, the Their pasta creation uh, if in this challenge is called Cephalopoloti Pasta Verde. It's a tasty, rich squid ink pasta uh, served with a Thai basil pesto cream sauce, grilled prawns, charred cherry tomatoes topped with toasted pine nuts, created by Chef Adam Foster. Uh, very, very tasty dish. I had a chance to taste that and a beautiful one at that. And you can try it Thursdays to Sundays for dinner only, available through to October 30th. So uh, make an advance reservation when you're heading out to uh, Nellis and uh, try this pasta. Uh, a couple of other things we did try was the uh, spinach dip croquette. It was a special feature on that night. Uh, served on an artichoke uh, tapenade with a top with a pimento onion jam and grilled ciabatta on the side. We also had their panzanella salad, which was a really tasty salad uh, with their, uh, I believe their house-made focaccia croutons there. Also had their veal limone, a very, very good dish with uh, white wine, butter, parsley, carrots, confit, garlic, potatoes, um, and they also had their, their Tuscan salmon, it's a dish I hadn't had before there, uh, with lemon and, and uh, sun-dried tomatoes, Brussels sprouts, uh, comfy garlic potatoes. For dessert, though, uh, we had their feature, because their feature was, of course, October pumpkins. you got to have that in October. The homemade pumpkin pie, top of whipped cream, and then also their winning um, Veneto Tiramisu. They were in our Tiramisu Challenge uh, this past year, and uh, they won an award for that. So uh, the Veneto tiramisu is absolutely delicious uh, and you have to go and try that so uh, head on out to uh, Nellis whenever you're in the area or when you're believe you're going to be in the area or when you want to try their pasta in this year's pasta challenge I want to talk about some of our upcoming events uh, happening that we are presenting uh, the dumpling fest or annual dumpling fest is coming up on November 9th that's uh, in Vancouver, it's kind of centered around the Mount Pleasant area between Mount Pleasant, Chinatown, and, and Points East. I get tickets right now through Eventbrite, and uh, tickets are on for the next little while, but uh, you can get them through Eventbrite. Just look for that, uh, or go to VancouverFoodStreet.com, and you look for the little ad that says Dumpling Fest, and come join us for a fun night of tasting uh, various dumplings around the city. Uh, we've got Mizell back uh, doing a Mexican version of dumplings there 
type of dumplings that they do. Um, and we have other Asian restaurants are participating along with them. And you get to try a bunch of different dumplings and other dishes throughout the night uh, as a tasting tour around the city. So a fun night. It's always a fun night. And come and join us for that. And then we are presenting our inaugural pizza crawl, first ever Vancouver Pizza Crawl. It is running at restaurants throughout Greater Vancouver. Uh, this is not a ticketed event. This is an event for you to come and enjoy. You're going to have 15 days to go out and try all these different new pizza creations because every restaurant is creating something new that's not on their existing menu. So it's a new pizza. You'll have 15 days to go try these different uh, pizzas out there at various spots. Take your friends, go by yourself, whatever you do, make a night of it, make a weekend of it, whatever you want to do. You can do that, and then you have a chance to win fun prizes, fun tasty prizes uh, throughout the festival. So it's uh, you've got restaurants all over the place, and just including, just to make mention of a few, Pizzeria Spaca out in Port Moody. Now they had previously won a few of our pasta, uh, sorry, a few of our pizza challenges over the years. So it's very exciting to have uh, Spaca uh, back in uh, an event. Uh, this time it's the Pizza Crawl, of course. So they're in Port Moody. We've got Wildflower uh, Co. Um, Wildflower Sourdough Pizza out in Burnaby, their first time in any of our events, and they had opened up recently. Very, very tasty pizza there. We've got straight out of Brooklyn, all their locations, and each location will be featuring a different pizza. So uh, all over Vancouver, and they've just opened a brand new restaurant this past week in Burnaby. Uh, so they're involved at Cafe Sokovo on Commercial Drive. They're fairly new. Uh, they're involved. We've got local pizza, Pizziolo. Um, out in uh, Kitsilano, and they're involved as well. So uh, you're going to see a lot more restaurants uh, listed on our on, on bankerfoodsteer.com on the pizza call very, very soon. Um, it's an exciting time. It's running from November 16th to 30th. So you'll have a fair bit of time. You'll have actually, well, actually November. I'll take that back. It is running from uh, November See, 16 November 14th, November 14th to 30th. So you've got um, this uh, running for so you'll have like 15 days, so you got lots of time to go and uh, try different pizzas and uh, and uh, enjoy. So, anyway, I'll be talking about more about that on upcoming episodes because there's lots to talk about when you get to there when we get there, and then also um, coming up on November 30th, we are presenting the tasting plates Main Street and Fraser Street. So, it's actually kind of two neighborhoods at the same time, two different popular streets between Maine and Fraser. We've got Pampangan um, Cuisine. It's a Filipino restaurant on, on Fraser Street. We've got Shameless Buns. is another Filipino, but they're a little bit different. Filipino street food kind of idea. They're on Fraser Street. And then we have other restaurants joining in on Main Street. So you get tickets through Eventbrite right now for that. And uh, look for that, Eventbrite. Um, and you'll find tickets for that one as well. Iono Cafe is uh, down in the kind of Gastown, sort of Chinatown area, very sort of on the border of both, I guess, is a way of putting it. Um, the location's not great, but if you can DM them and you're heading on down there and you want to make it, it's a destination for sure for some delicious Japanese food, I guess, vegan, vegetarian, that kind of thing. Um, they actually have some fish as well, so pescatarian. Um, you just DM them on Instagram that you say you just want to come in to eat, and then you can um, maybe park in the area and then head on in. Security will let you through, and then you can eat inside in a beautiful space um, and then enjoy. So they've just launched their fall menu. So uh, Bev and Greg are a wonderful couple, and they are just creating delicious food, 
pretty much making everything from scratch, which is pretty impressive, including their bread. They make their own bread as well. So we just tried a few dishes this time, and um, their creamy shisho pesto udon was delicious. So good. I would definitely go back there again. I wish I lived closer. I don't live that close. So um, if I was there, if I lived closer, I'd probably be there a lot more. Um, I really, really enjoy that. Very creamy, just delicious ingredients. A lot of the actually produce and like herbs and things are from their own um, their own little mini micro farm. And they're growing a lot on their little mini micro farm. So uh, you get to a lot of local on that one. That's a really, really good one. And then the smoked sockeye sandwich. That was very tasty as well. Of course, I just mentioned they make their own bread um, daily there. So um you just you're trying like everything kind of like right there it's good and then the other favorite was the roast miso sake sable fish don so this is like a don of course it's like a rice bowl and they've got this roasted miso sake sable fish on top it's really good tender melt in your mouth that's something you want to get and then um, we just had one of the desserts uh, the hochicha swiss roll cake really tasty there i mean their Bev's make, really good at making cakes and cookies. I've tried all the cookies already. So this time around was just the uh, Hoshicha Swiss Roll Cake. But I am looking forward to visiting again and then uh, trying some of their other dishes as well. So check them out. Iono Cafe, they're kind of like on the corner of, well, not really in the corner. They're on Corral Street between Pender and Hastings. So obviously everybody knows it's not a good area. But um, but if you do DM them, you can just DM. You can slop, slip right in and enjoy some delicious food. Robo Damati Gastown is currently in my uh, Vancouver Pasta Challenge, and I just tried them the other day. This is a location I had not been to, so I've been to all the Robo Damatis except for Gastown because they kind of, they well, they opened during the pandemic, and like at the deep part of the pandemic, nobody was really going to Gastown. I certainly wasn't, so um, I didn't get a chance to visit their restaurant, so this time I did. So it's such a cozy little spot. Great service, small a smaller restaurant, I think, of, of all their other locations, but attentive service. And um, I was there to try their special dish, which was the ravioli de Rahul. Now, why is it called ravioli de Rahul? Is because it's named after this chef, Chef Rahul, who created this dish. It's a rich and tasty lobster crab ravioli with a heavy cream pecorino and romano sauce infused with basil oil and a touch of tomato caviar on top so very very interesting dish one you want to try before um, october 30th so it's offered daily for lunch or dinner um through to october 30th so like head on down there uh, i'd make you could make a reservation i think weekends are really busy during the week maybe doesn't matter you can just sort of walk in and uh, try this dish and then um then vote for them as well I just also had a couple other thing, a couple other items before I had this, uh, the uh, ravioli, I had the ensalada celeste, so just a really good tasting green salad and the bruschetta al pomodoro. So uh, definitely give uh, Robo Damati a try the next time you're in the Gastown area, or if you want to try their pasta before October 30th. C Prime is another restaurant in our Vancouver Pasta Challenge, and I just tried the, uh, their dish the other night. So uh, very, very different to the other one. This is more of a vegetarian um, uh, pasta creation. It's called fettuccine fungi or fungi. Some people would say fungi. Actually, I think our server said fungi. I go fungi. I don't know. Fungi, fungi. Which one? Which one is it? I'm not sure. Anyway, they have a decadent and delicious pasta dish with house-made fettuccine. They make all their pastas in-house there. Mascarpone. So 
Well, I th actually was thinking it's probably uh, it's probably it's really rich. It's probably made with heavy cream, and it's actually not. It's actually mascarpone. Of course, that's a cream cheese, but it wasn't like it wasn't like heavy cream like I thought. But it had that taste. So, so very very rich taste. Uh, mixed foraged mushrooms. They had all sorts of different mushrooms in there, local, locally mush, local grown mushrooms, and winter herbs. So that was really good. Created by Chef Bashad. He is a genius when it comes to creating dishes. So you want to try all everything he has on his menu. You want to go and try. So. Uh, I did try a few other things, but you can try this uh, dish that's now on till uh, daily for lunch or dinner, and it's available right through to October 30th. So uh, definitely give them a try. I would um, I'd make an advanced reservation to this restaurant, especially if you're going on weekends. But even during the week, I mean, depending on how busy the hotel is, uh, they tend to fill up. So uh, that's one spot you definitely want to go. They're right on Burrard, right downtown near, near St. Paul's, right on Burrard Street, right in the heart of the city. And then um, also tried a few other dishes. So the burrata and prosciutto. Now, this was really interesting, really good. They bring their burrata from a particular city in, in Italy. I don't remember exactly the name of the city, but it's flown in and they don't do much to it. They just serve burrata. So you've got this burrata from Italy with prosciutto with a bit of olive puree, arugula, and house bread. It's really good. Definitely, definitely enjoy that. And then also the tricolor salad. A tasty salad with radicchio, endive, arugula, walnuts, pecorino, pancetta, and goat cheese croquettes. Those croquettes were really good. So they just um, fry them up, but uh, a great accompaniment to that uh, salad. Then for um, for some meat, we have the Holstein Dairy Cow, a 12-ounce ribeye uh, served with their demi-glaze. Now, this was really good. So this was, um, you know, I've had ribeyes in the past, but it's usually kind of fatty. This was not fatty at all. It was perfectly cooked. It had incredible flavor because it's a dairy cow, right? So it's like a really, really good, um, really good flavor. That's from their the farm, cattle farm out in Wisconsin, and that was just great. We just shared it, but uh, it came with a little bit of a fried onion, fried onion ring, string things on top. Served with a demi glaze, really good. Ordered a couple, couple sides. We had the roasted beets this time, and the roasted squash, which is perfect for October fall season. So really, really good dishes there. I probably, you know, I mean, every time I there, I. I I tend to overorder sometimes, so um, this time we did not overorder, which was great. So we were we were able to eat their desserts and enjoy their desserts. They have incredible desserts. That's another spot. Chef Diana and Chef Ashad together have created some incredible desserts there. Um, now, of course, everyone's going to have their own favorite. My favorite is more on the chocolatey kind of like, yeah, chocolatey. I want to say chocolatey side, marshmallow. These kinds of flavors are my thing. I'm not really into like, and I love apples, but I'm not that whole apple sort of thing, especially refreshing um, tart desserts, not my thing. But the good thing is you go with your partner who loves to eat um, those kind of flavors. So we had a differing here. So Lawrence loved the apple supreme with yogurt mousse and green apple sorbet. That's his jam. He loves sorbets. He loves that that kind of thing. Um, and but mine was the Milifugue, uh Milifu. I guess Milifugue. It's an Italian pronouncing. Uh, with frangelico cream, vanilla ice cream, and chocolate soil, and this uh, marshmallow kind of meringue that was like torched all the way down the plate. It was incredible. I loved it, loved it. But you can see how different people are, and I'm sure you may have differences as well. I recently had a chance to eat at a restaurant in Seattle called Cook Weaver. It was a, a phenomenal, a phenomenal dinner, and it was um, a tasting menu restaurant. All they do actually 
is tasting menus. They have a non-vegetarian, they have a vegetarian, and then they can do vegan kind of on the fly. If they know their guests are vegan, they can do that for you. But that's all they do. It's located in the Capitol Hill neighborhood and beautiful, beautiful spot. Uh, they've been there for six years now. They survived the pandemic, which is so great to see. And I had a chance to eat there um, a few weeks ago now. And I meet Chef Zach Reynolds. He's one of the co-owners of this restaurant. We had a great chat in the kitchen a following dinner. And then I had a great chat with him a few days ago as I interviewed him. And we talk about his restaurant and everything going on in Seattle uh, at Cook Weaver. So give a listen to my interview with Chef Zach Reynolds. Talking with Chef Zach Reynolds, he co-owns uh, Cook Weaver in Seattle, and I just had a pleasure of eating there recently. Uh, tell me, how did Cook Weaver start? Oh, well, I, um, you know, the chef my whole life, um, and then um, I actually put a, a I wanted my own restaurant and I put an ad in, I had been doing pop-ups and I had a pretty regular pop-up I was doing every weekend and, um, but I wanted more. And I uh, put an ad in Craigslist looking for a partner and I found my partner and then we went around and found a lease and made it all happen. So pretty regular way, I guess, but it kept building with little pop-ups and, um, um, cooking my own food for people and stuff like that. You have such created such a wonderful vibe in your restaurant. It's so just natural when you walk in, you sit down and you know you're about to go into a tasting experience, tasting menu. You've got a couple different options of ways to go. But when you sit down, it's like you're sitting at home with friends. It's a wonderful feeling. Well, we tried really hard. We, I mean, we didn't want it to be a very stuffy restaurant and we switched to a tasting menu. We'd been an all cart restaurant and because of the pandemic, it seemed like more financially, like it would make sense. We could get more people with a higher ticket average or less people with a higher ticket average and cover things better. And it made sense for us, but we never really wanted it to be um, fussy. And we've not, we're not a fussy type of, and I don't think the food is fussy particularly. So I think it's in a, a cool to do a tasting menu with food that feels pretty approachable. Um, so I think just the natural personality of the people that work there really influences the vibe of the restaurant for sure. So you've got a uh, non-tasting menu, uh, sorry, a non-vegetarian menu and a vegetarian menu, which can also be a vegan menu as we discovered. Right. Um, do you change that every night or do you have like, does it run for a week? How does that work? Uh, well, um, we change it with our whim so it's kind of a rolling change i would say if you came back every three months most everything would be changed mm. um this week because we're going into kind of the end of the summer season i've just changed five things and um in the last two weeks i've changed five things and the next two weeks i'll probably change another rest of the menu i think i think it'll all be turned over so it's kind of it's not exactly quarterly but it tends to kind of sort of roll quarterly. Quarterly, does that make sense? That does make sense. Yeah. So one of the dishes that I really loved, it was just such a, it was so different and I just, it just resonated with me was the breakfast radish, Parmesan curry broth, green rice, lime leaf oil. Very interesting, distinctive ingredients. How did you come up with that dish? Um, mm. making, well, we've been, so, making it work so well. Well, we've been doing, um, 
I don't know, with uh, some Parmesan scraps, we'd been making like an amuse-bouche with a lot of times dishes do develop out of a, a, like a little amuse, like a little free snack, the first mm. snack that, and like, it's kind of a little space because it's not really written on the menu. So sometimes we, we play around with that thing and, and we'd been doing an amuse that was um, just a Parmesan soup and maybe uh, and uh, with chicken stock. And it was pretty simple and a clear broth. And I felt like, oh, we seasoned it with um, lime juice. And then I was like, well, lime juice, maybe we should season it with some fish sauce. And I was like, this, uh, well, maybe we can take this in a direction that's like, um, um, like Southeast Asia. And so it just started to come together for me. Like, and then um, uh, we had, you know, and then a lot of times we have like rice around and we would just have snacks with the rice that is left over in the rice cooker after service and used the broth and I tried it like this and then it all started to make sense to me. And um, we had another, we had a veggie puree with tahini that we were using for something else and I mixed the rice with that so it's all like oftentimes it's all these different puzzle pieces and you just kind of rearrange them into new dishes I feel often so I feel like the restaurant starts to build it has all these building blocks and there's these different elements around that are using in different ways and you can recombine that on the fly often or recombine things into different dishes for a snack or for a staff meal and I think this dish came out of that kind of process and, and the, then go ahead the, the other dish was the carrot taco which was a super surprise it wasn't actually on the menu you just kind of did it on the fly for us to try and you explained that a server was explaining that you use this injera which is like a Ethiopian kind of bread and you get it in a special place in Seattle um, so right. how did, like, that's obviously because taco Mexican kind of idea, but then your carrots are kind of local and you've got injera. So how did you come up with that combo? Because it was like a, just a very interesting one, but it, it worked well for me and it worked out well for my friend who was a vegan. Well, that again, it's the same kind of thing. It was, we had, we're doing something with the carrots. We were smoking these carrots. We were fermenting these carrots and then roasting them and then smoking them. And it was going into a different dish that kind of focused on the carrot it was the carrot and it was this bulgur salad and um a couple other elements i can't remember exactly and we had these carrots around and i was like well maybe these carrots would be kind of like a good approach to make a meaty kind of brazy kind of thing mm. and it, that did work out for me and i was i was like i don't know we had the we've been using injera a lot and um we use it for all kinds of different elements like we make breadcrumbs or we fry them right now we have a dish where we have it fried and we use it as a sweet element on the dessert but we had this injera and i braised just started fooling with it i wanted to have kind of a substantial vegetable course and um, just, I, I can't, I can't remember exactly, but it was, again, it was like moving pieces around and trying to figure stuff out. Like I had an idea that I wanted 
kind of a substantial vegetable course. And I knew that I liked using this in Jira because it has this acidic element to things and you can use it like a taco. And I also like the way that when it's not like fusion or restaurant, but I like the way when a dish uses different cultural elements and you're like, and it makes you think, wow, these different cultural, these different food cuisines are so similar in so many different ways because I see a similarity when I eat Ethiopian food to when I eat tacos. I find that the cuisines have some different flavor profile, some similar flavor profiles. And it makes sense to me that they would go together. So I'm not like, I'm not trying to fuse things, but I'm trying to use the influences, the things I see around me in, in the culture I participate in. And I try to use them and mix them all up in, into like the, into the melting pot that America is, you know what I mean? When you create recipes, are you looking at, or when you're creating your dishes, are you looking at the recipe first or are you going to your, your farmers um, in your, in the Seattle area and uh, picking out the produce and the products first and then uh, making the dishes or how do you, how do you plan that? Uh, it works both ways. Sometimes if I'm, like really like struggling with coming up with new things, I will just go to the market or the farmer's market and I'll be like, I'm just going to use, I'm going to find something that I like and I'm just, okay, today's a change. We're going, I'm going to pick this thing and we're going to come up with a new dish. Like I did this uh, last week. I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do. I want to change this first course on the vegetarian side. Matsutakis are in season. I have a local forager guy who brings all the different mushrooms and whatnot. And Matsutakis are available. And I was like, okay, give me four pounds of Matsutakis and we'll come up with something. Mm. And I had been thinking about maybe a mushu kind of dish for the vegetarian. I, and we came up with like, we're just sauteing the Matsutakis. There's a little salad of radicchio with that we have a vinaigrette that's made with like a chili oil that's seasoned with Szechuan and star anise. And then we just put it on a little mushu pancake with a vegetarian plum sauce that we make with all our vegetable scraps. And so that came together, but often um, sometimes uh, it is like, I just like, I have to go for it. Like things have to change and just have to then often that like feels like an easy way to like just force being creative like oh i have to do I have to do this creative thing so now it's time and it's not i don't know if creative is the right word it's like you force the work do you find um that your a lot of your customers are locals who come often like once a month they want to see how your menu is changing or are they coming more for a celebratory occasion how does that uh usually play out i think we have a lot of repeat customers um maybe um every three or four months i think um i think the price point it's at 95 dollars now um you know it kind of it makes it i mean for a tasting menu of this size i think that's cheap but it's still not obviously in everyone's budget which i this uh, conflict for me i wish i could have i want things to be for everyone but it's uh, it's obviously not so it is what it is yeah. um but i we do have a lot of customers 
that are repeat and it doesn't seem to me to be like a special occasion restaurant i think people coming um as a just a regular restaurant occasion some we some special occasion but not like a really really fancy restaurant that people are just like this is a place i go for celebration so it's a regular regular i would say regular kind of and what percentage is like you have the vegetarian menu. We have a non-vegetarian menu. Of course, you're you're serving a, a lot of people that were, I guess, the night we were in were a lot of vegans. So you were converting your vegetarian to vegan. But how? What is like? Is there a percentage? Do you happen to know of like how you know veggie, veggie versus vegan versus non-veggie um, that you have per night or not really? I think it's like it it shifts. It depends on the night, but I think on average it's like maybe thirty to forty vegetarian percent vegetarian and maybe 10% vegan of that 30 to 40%. Oh, right. Okay. Uh, interesting. But it's great that you're able to like modify for people. If you, you know, you, if you need to, you do it. Well, yeah. And it's not just vegetarian. It's everything like gluten-free, uh, all allium allergies. Um, it's a banana allergy. Mm. Nuts. So there, we try to adjust once in a while. It's impossible but yeah. most of us try to adjust as best we can we will grumble in the kitchen but we try to we try to uh uh be as accommodating as possible so uh, it can well, be really hard it can be really hard because like often it'll be a table with like because you have a set menu and it's you have your game plan and then if it, it's one thing if like one person is gluten but then it's one person that's gluten plus a red pepper allergy plus a banana allergy and it's like it's a real uh a lot of uh brain work to figure out all the things <laughs> to make it work so you so in addition to the tasting menu that people can come in for you also have a uh, chef's table in the kitchen so maybe you can talk a little bit about the chef's table how does that work how can people book in for that uh, how far in advance do people need to book in for that well though um it's a seat we seat six uh in the past we would do um multiple parties like two to two two tops at the same time right now we are still kind of in covid and we're just doing one party at a time we can do two parties a night usually um i would yeah definitely suggest a reservation for that at the moment we're just doing the regular tasting menu but i have kind of have plans to maybe do a, maybe a little bit more special one like the seven courses and maybe reduce them a little and then have like a more of a celebratory kind of like a whole fish or I don't know something along those lines or big rice clay pot or something with fancy ingredients um at maybe a higher price point but we're still working on that um but it's kind of a a, a cool experience because often I don't know we're like I said before a really casual restaurant and there's a lot of interaction we're the in the kitchen it's often you sit at like a chef counter in a restaurant like I don't know I have the experience where the chefs don't really interact with me ever and um I don't know we're very interactive not in but sometimes it get it goes outside the boundaries of like being professional so they get to see some of like us being um just regular people i don't know it makes sense like maybe like a tv show in the kitchen yeah i don't know we're not that entertaining but like we uh it 
we're we're not super super prof always professional <laughs> like you know like so we we are we we're playful that's what i would say we're very playful so it's a fun it can be a fun experience and it's really in the kitchen so you really see the experience of what it's like for us to cook so and some some customers are super engaged and it's really fun to have them and they're curious about how 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 the the process like and so i like when i go like i'm also i love to watch that that kind of thing when i am at a restaurant i'm curious about another kitchen's process too so i i think it's pretty cool actually i think it's also a very different experience being in the kitchen uh versus dining in the restaurant like just it'll be the vibe will be completely different it's definitely very different and like it's the kitchen is i wish it could be the actual working functioning part of the kitchen i wish it could be a little like we had higher end equipment and stuff but it's not it's pretty pleasant in there still we have it decorated the bench the table is really pleasant and there's nice lights we dim the dim the lights to make it romantical and mm. uh, i think it's a really uh it most people oh well, everyone always says it's cute so i don't know i have like um feelings that I, I wish i had a really fancy stove and there wasn't grease here and there but it was so i mean it's real thanks for a great experience so lastly are there any particular farmers that you're using in the seattle area to supply your various different products or do you going are you going mostly to the markets to purchase your your produce well i go to the farmer's market every week couple different ones and i use whatever all of the different uh farmers there like one there's one that friends with uh tona maker farms for a lot of fruit for a lot of fruit alvarez farms for some east east of the mountains hot stuff particularly this part of the year um like getting like this really nice sheep's milk cheese from glendale creamery where they have a really nice kind of tallulah telegio kind of cheese that i'm creaming kind of making a cheesy corn dish that's really nice i think and uh you bury uh, i use them all year um then but i also go to like um regular grocery stores but in the our like international district or chinatown to procure a lot of things i don't have like an asian uh dry goods supplier so i'll get like nori or like the um the rice or uh, I often I often actually buy fish at uh, 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 at a grocery store called Uwajamaya that probably has the best they have the most variety I have a they have a lot more variety and the prices are similar to a uh, purveyor so like I can get skate and monkfish liver and um, some things that are a little unusual that I have sometimes have a hard time finding with my uh like they have sea urchin right now and, and like my purveyor doesn't my purveyors don't have those things so mm. often i like yeah so every morning i do shop at uh, these different little asian markets okay well you've got a great menu i think you've done a terrific job and you know all the best to you going as you go forward and i think the tasting menu is obviously the way to go because that really gets people in there and you and it opens up their eyes to all sorts of possibilities of flavors and, and dishes going forward so thank you again for joining me Thank you for listening to this week's show. Tune into the next episode next week to hear more interviews with chef and cookbook authors, as well as other features. 
Please tell your friends about this podcast and have them subscribe to the Van Foodster Podcast and Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Google Play, and Amazon Music to hear my weekly show covering the food scene in and outside of Vancouver.